Perform this on demand. The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. The country has been pushed to the limit. Our political bonds have been torn apart. We need a true leader who can save us from certain doom. (laughs) Unfortunately, we can only find this guy. Hey, it's Glenn Beck. Glenn Beck is coming live to talk about the right path forward and to make fun of the people standing in the way. He might not be able to save the country, but at least we can all go down laughing. Glenn Beck Live, the Addicted to Outrage Tour, on tour this fall. For tickets, VIP packages, and more, visit glennbeck.com. Reaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. This is the place where you'll find an American Muslim who believes in the country, who believes in Americanism and the Constitution and the Establishment Clause, and the need for those ideas to be our bulwark against political Islam, against Islamism, and the need for reform in the deep ideas that empower Islamic State ideology and theocracy. Sounds deep, sounds heavy, but every week, for those of you who've been here before, you know I find those issues that are every day, from high schools talking about 9-11, to foreign policy in Iran and Syria, to your interfaith conversations that you might have with your Muslim neighbor. Every opportunity, every opportunity is a way to not only make all politics local, but to begin to treat the problem. This is a generational problem. And I guarantee you the divisions that you see deep in Washington, that you see deep across our society, have some elements that are perpetuating or solving or beginning to solve or beginning to inflame the things that we need to do to counter the global threat of Islamists that dominate by one way or another the legal systems of over 56, of of the 56 Muslim countries in, in many ways over their people. So let's start today as the president attended the General Assembly meeting annually held in New York City of the United Nations as President Trump chaired a National Security Council meeting and focused not only on the lack of meaning of that commission, of that council, but focused on the need to isolate Iran, isolate Tehran. And I'm going to start with, you know, many people say, well, are you making any progress in reform? And, and uh, you know, I love listening to you, Zudi, but, you know, what is the next step? Well, again, another magnificent teaching moment for all of you this week as we saw many people reported if not for those of you who follow the islamist groups uh, there are many in the united states uh, uh, most notable are the islamic society of north america the council on american islamic relations islamic circle of north america these are all alphabet soup of identity muslim organizations which thrive on collectivizing Muslims, thrive on feeding our population, our communities, a grievance mindset, a victimology mindset. So let's look at what Nihad Awad, who is uh, the Hamas sympathizer that runs a Hamas sympathetic organization in Washington called the Council on American Islamic Relations. And this week, 
he lived up to the name of his organization, right? It was it always amazed me when I first started talking about them and pulling my hair out uh, back in 2003, saying, who are these guys? Where did they come from? Started to research them. I knew that they had evolved from the Islamic Association for Palestine and then reformulated their branding to basically hijack the entire Muslim community for their obsessed obsession on the Palestinian cause. And I said, why are they calling themselves the American Islamic Relations? American Islamic Relations, uh, you know, uh, I just couldn't understand that. Having served in the Navy 11 years, um, it, it did not make sense that you would talk about America and Islam having relations. There are Muslim Americans that love this country, that need to reform ideas that make most interpretations normative interpretations of many Islamic countries and their clerics incompatible with Western liberal democracy. Those ideas all need reform. But to say America and Islam need to have some type of relations as if it's two separate entities, as if it's antagonistic entities, I'm sure there are ways that are obvious that we should look at that in that way in some ways. But as a Muslim American organization, it was offensive to me that they separate the two, that that's how you approach. And you wonder why Muslims that are part of the organization are not assimilating. Look at America as the enemy or America as an entity that needs to be warmed up to in a real politique that somehow we, we have to tolerate rather than embracing, empathically loving and being passionate about America, being passionate about the need to reform the ideas that are so-called Islam today to bring them to be compatible with modernity rather than changing America to be compatible with medieval Islamic interpretations, which is what the Muslim Brotherhood, with the Islamists that come here to the West try to do. They are about evangelizing political Islam and bringing their Islamist movements like Hamas, the Ikhwan al-Muslimin, the Muslim Brotherhood, and others to the West. Well, nothing better, I think, summarizes the problems and the pathology with care than the fact that this week Nihad Awad tweeted that he was going to meet with Recep Erdogan and Hassan Rouhani, the presidents of Iran and Turkey. And, and you know, Awad tweets this crap thinking that somehow people are going to see him as a big power broker. He is a power player in Washington and globally because he's meeting with presidents of countries. Well, it shouldn't surprise most Americans that he's meeting with thugs. He's meeting with Islamist dictators, with tyrants. And he claimed in his tweets to say, it's not about photo ops for me, he wrote on Twitter. And by the way, he blocks me on Twitter, even though uh, he had blocked me before I ever tweeted at him. I had been tweeting at his organization, Care National. But that's the fear, the, the restriction of the freedom of speech that they embody and enact as Islamists. He said it's not about photo ops, it's about real issues in people's lives. Please engage and tell me what issues and questions I should raise, says Nihad Awad. So, the investigative project on terrorism's uh, John Rosamondo 
on September 24th reported about these tweets and about their meeting. And, you know, my first thought was, hello, is the Federal Bureau of Investigation, I hope, monitoring those meetings in the United States with folks that, you know, listen, Erdogan publicly, publicly, his thugs, remember the case of of the assault against journalists and others that happened in Washington by his thugs, by his so-called bodyguards and security detail, and against other Turks? That case somehow mysteriously dropped because they think they can get away with anything. And you still have, I think, a Trump administration, which I think should be lauded for the sanctions that they're putting against Turkey, and have threatened more because of the imprisonment of the pastor that we talked about a few podcasts ago, but also uh, because of other activities that they're doing. And yet still, President Trump and his stemwinder of a press conference this week in which he talked about everything from the Kavanaugh hearings to the UN meetings in North Korea and Iran and others, he mentioned he, he applauded Turkey. He said, oh, they're doing well. They're helping us. They're, they should be uh, applauded. Well... I'm sure there may be things behind the scenes that President Trump wanted to acknowledge publicly, but I'm not sure that there's much, much at all to be positive about Turkey. Awad's meeting with Rouhani and Erdogan, I think, epitomizes the role of American Islamist groups. Remember, we talked about the United States Council of Muslim Organizations, the USCMO, and how they were flown out to Istanbul to, to, to be with President Erdogan on his victory, electoral victory, showing you the place that they see their, their agents in Washington. Are these, by the way, are these Muslim imams? Muhammad Majid, who went to Istanbul, um, Nihad Awad, who was there back in 2016, he's met with Erdogan three or four times in the past five years. Are they registered as lobbyists for the Turks? The IPT has done a, a number of write-ups on the issue of Turkish government lobbying groups. And again, they point out that the Turkish American National Steering Committee, the TASC, spoke several events and sponsored, I'm sorry, several events that Erdogan was going to be speaking in, and those pictures of those events showed cheering, congratulating the great Erdogan, the leader of democracy, etc., when in fact it was a sham. It was straight out of the playbook of dictators who pay, who pay for rallies and other things to demonstrate a photo op that will give them acknowledgement and to be used. Erdogan said... American Muslims have an interest in the nearing elections, which is positive news. At the end of the election, he's talking about American elections. We hope to see many of our brothers in decision-making positions. We are ready to exchange our experience as Turkey. Ladies and gentlemen, when I come back, let's talk about what exactly is the role of the American Islamist groups like CARE and the Turkish American National Steering Committee and other functional lobbying organizations for Islamist supremacy and hegemony. 
what is their role in America? This is Zudi Jester and Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jesser. The Blaze Radio Network. Pat Gray. Anti-voting rights. You know what the anti-voting rights thing is? They want you to bring ID to the voting booth. That's it. That's anti-voting rights. Shut up! That drives me out of my mind! Asking somebody to prove who they are before they vote is not trying to stop them from voting. It's trying to stop somebody who's dead from voting. That's what it is. Pat Gray. Weekdays, noon to 3 Eastern. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. You know, listen, us Muslims are not going to be able to reform a darn thing if we're constantly being marginalized, those of us who believe in reform, those of us who want to take on the Islamists, by Islamists that are given platforms by the UN, by thuggish presidents that come to New York and on our soil, no one wants to report about the fact that Nihad Awad is meeting with tyrants and then claims that he's trying to weaken them. Claims as they did four or five years ago when they flew to Tehran and all of a sudden tried to release an American hostage. I believe they may have even come back with one. Um, I, I don't recall the details, but the bottom line is, is as I said back then, before I ever had a podcast, But I'll tell you now, please, how is it that an American Muslim, so-called American, I really think they're seditious care and other Islamist groups, but how does a so-called American Muslim organization connect with the apparatus that is Tehran? You just sort of call, there's no embassy. You, you, you just sort of call Tehran and you say, oh, oh, I'd like a meeting with Rouhani. How, how does that happen? I, I mean, if you, if you strip, if you tied me down and tortured me, I would not know how to get a meeting with anyone in the Iranian government. Not only because I, I'm constantly voicing my opinion about them, but and I would be concerned about my safety with them. But at the end of the day, these are not normal players. There's an underground of communication that I would think that care offices would be tied to in order to communicate. Or did they just go knock their, uh, on their, you know, they have an Iranian-American on their payroll whose cousin, whose uncles work in Iran and works closely with them. Now, Awad has pretended to have little fits of anger against the Iranian regime as he played played up his fealty to the anti-Assad portion of the care constituents that he has. So in 2016 and 2015, he ultimately lambasted them as John Rosamondo points out, blaming Iran for the Syrian bloodshed, denouncing Iran for promoting sectarianism, etc. But he still is able to meet with them. You still Google Rouhani and Awad, then you won't find him writing much negative about him. 
the Palestinian Hamas wing, you'll find, was very close to Assad for, for decades. Um, the head of Hamas had his headquarters in Damascus under Hafez and then under Bashar Assad up until the beginning of the revolution in 2011. And even that, they didn't leave until about a year into the revolution when the Islamists started to see the opening for them to begin to dominate the revolution. And still Hamas works closely with Iran, receives funds, receives sympathy, receives cooperation. So, cares fealty, Nihad Awad, all of the other players of the Council on American Islamic Relations are part of the apparatus. Turkish government has its own Turkish apparatus. It's built the largest mosque in America, in which it makes no qualms of the fact that it is an outpost of the religious branch the religious evangelical movement to spread and hegemonize the new caliphate or the old Ottoman caliphate under Erdogan. Baltimore Mosque goes by the, the name, the Dianet, which is the name for the religious institution of governments, of government, of the network of mosques that are owned and operated by the Turkish government. So now, ladies and gentlemen, the largest mosque in America is 10 million plus Turkish money. What are they getting in return for that? What do they get in return for the fealty on bended knee that Nihad Awad shows in which he says, oh, no, it's not about photo ops. And why the hell did you tweet about it? It's not about connections. Sure it isn't. As John points out in IPT, he says, Turkey's finance minister, Barat Al-Baryak, joined Erdogan at a speech he gave last week, and supporters of the Turkish news website Haberler reported by from hacked emails that showed that they were giving regular updates about their work and were interviewed by the FBI on suspicion that they were engaged in political espionage on behalf of Erdogan. One such email from the TASC co-chairman, Turkish-American National Steering Committee, Ibrahim Uyar, to Albayrak, the finance minister of Erdogan, described the July 2016 White House rally against the Turkish coup attempt that he organized. Awad and other American Islamist leaders participated in that rally, which was also sponsored by, by TASC. So they're keeping them updated. They're keeping the higher-ups and basically the cabinet equal to the secretary of their treasury, the finance minister, keeping them updated on the, on the status of rallies, etc. So that shows you the importance of the United States, impact of little... I mean, what influence anyway do some of these Turkish-Americans have on American policy? Maybe tiny, but it's there, it's palpable, it's enough that Erdogan's worried about it and paying for it. And yet nobody's talking about it. So if you're worried about the presence of no Muslim reformer would ever be caught dead helping Erdogan's Islamist regime or Khomeinist Islamist regime or Hamas or the Muslim Brotherhood or Shirazis or any cleric that has 
talked about instituting Islamic governance, Islamic State, and Sharia would not be something that Muslim secular liberal Democrats would be promoting. And when you look at your own national security here in America or in the West, Muslims might only be 4 million, but foreign Islamist governments are investing in them, communicating with them, and having open meetings with them that they're not afraid to have because it impacts policy and it empowers American Muslims. Until, and as I told you last week, until our country has an offense in which we empower the Muslim antagonists to those traitors, to those seditious Muslims that are working with foreign caliphists that believe in establishing a caliphate to defeat the EU, to defeat America, and to defeat the West. Until we start empowering Muslims that are on our side, these few Islamists are going to make huge impact. Huge because the West, even if you paid attention to what was actually happening with these Turkish groups, with the Syrian Islamist Brotherhood that's, impa- that's impacting the help of the rebels, that gave it to the wrong rebels, even if you paid attention to that, without an offense of Muslims who are on your side for secular Western liberal values for universal human rights, we will never win this. You'll continue the whack-a-mole program. So, When Erdogan says American Muslims have an interest in the nearing elections, which is positive news, he's echoing the words of the left. When we come back, I want to talk to you about Iran. What did Rouhani's state propaganda say about President Trump's speech to the UN? Why did it say it? It's echoing the words of the left in America about President Trump, about this country, about our ideas and what we stand for. And it's using extreme rhetoric, extreme rhetoric, calling what we do economic terrorism against Iran, against Turkey, because it is hurting them where it counts as the real circles the drain. And because we're having an impact and they are writhing in the regime in Tehran, and the left here is helping them. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. Don't miss the morning blaze with Doc. If you break it in half and right. you set it down, you go, hey, I just broke that half. It just looks weird. But you're not, nobody takes it then. Right, no one does. Unless you're there when it gets broken in you half. You don't know. You come up. Right. It's like somebody ate half a donut. Right. It's not broken. That's what you And think. nobody's taking a bite of the donut and put it back. You know that. That's it doesn't what matter. you think. Right. So then you feel guilty. You're like, well, this is going to go to waste. So you, know, you might as well. And leave. I'm kind of the cleaner at my house, too. The Morning Blaze. Weekday morning, 6 to 9 Eastern. On the Blaze Radio Network. Blaze Radio Network On Demand. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. We were talking about American Muslim fealty for Islamist regimes, regardless of what they are, who they are, and what they feel about America. Those include Islamist organizations, not by any means a majority 
if in fact they're a minority of American Muslims, but yet they dominate the groups that claim to speak for American Muslims. And we talked about their cooperation with Turkey and what it means for American security, what it means for how asleep many Americans are when it comes to the threat and what American Muslim organizations are doing here against American interests as they work through Turkish groups, through, again, these are the ones that are getting the attention, not the majority of American Muslims, but sadly, the rest of the American Muslim population has not organized, has not formed anti-Islamist groups like our American Islamic Forum for Democracy. We are still a minority among a minority, but I think the reality of the silent majority should hopefully wake up. But the real question is, will we wake up? Will American Muslims, will the silent majority of Muslims wake up? Uh, they did in Tunisia. They are trying to in Syria. They did in Iraq. They are now beginning to wake up in Iran. These are countries in which they saw the brutal boots, the guns, the viciousness of militant Islamism, of radical terror inflicted by tyrannical sheikhs, tyrannical imams, clerics, and theocrats. In the United States, there's less drive for that, and yet so much more opportunity to counter the Islamist ideas, and yet not as much stimulus to feel that our legacy, our future depends on it. And that's really what I'm trying to do in this program and the work that we do is to, is to wake up American Muslims that you are squandering an opportunity here to do things that our brothers and sisters across the world cannot do, living under the tyranny of ISIS, of Khomeini, of Erdogan, of the Brotherhood, of Hamas, of Assad, of King Salman, MBS. You can't live under regimes like that that empower jurists, that cut off the hands of those who steal, that claim people who are trying to get their ideas heard are simply drug addicts or rapists or, or whatever it may be that they try to label them when in fact they're simply free-thinking Muslims. We talked about Turkey last segment. Iran has even become much more belligerent as President Trump appropriately tried to outline and tried to isolate them. His speech, I think, was fantastic this week. Take a look at it. He laid out what is starting to finally appear to be a doctrine that tries to tell the world that each country... You know, there's an old saying about personal relationships that says, you cannot love somebody else until you first feel comfortable and you love yourself. That's an old psychological, psychiatric, developmental understanding of the fact that you need to be comfortable, secure, not insecure, not hateful, not depressed. You need to be secure with yourself so that you can love others. I think na nations are the same. Obviously not bullish, not violent. They need to be comfortable harmonious and that peace for them to then have good relations with other countries 
America is going through some deep change right now. The West is going through change, and the biggest test for that has been the influx of millions of immigrants who are bringing with them their own challenges. Some embrace the political dynamics of the West. Many do not. And this is causing a reaction of some hypernationalism. So that extreme hypernationalism obviously is not a solution, but rather exacerbates the problem. But some nationalism, some patriotism, not embodied in racial identity and exclusivity, but rather in ideological identity with universal human rights, with free speech, our constitution, is essential in protecting a nation. Because it's about the social contract of what it means to be American. Well, Rouhani this week, followed in the principles of Ahmadinejad, his predecessor, Iranian president, and said, we are witnessing rulers in the world that ride public sentiments and gain popular support through the fomenting of extremist nationalism and racism and through xenophobic tendencies resembling a Nazi disposition, as well as through the trampling of global rules and undermining international institutions. Ladies and gentlemen, he's not talking about himself, which I think it would apply. He's talking, obviously, about President Trump. And he's parroting much of the language that's coming from the left. I even heard on CNN, Christian Amanpour, supposedly a balanced journalist on foreign affairs on CNN International. She was on the main CNN channel here domestically with a bold face telling Americans that the EU is courageous. They're trying to meet and reassure Rouhani that there are ways to protect themselves economically despite the decisions of President Trump. Protect themselves economically to help them bypass, basically, the sanctions. So reporters, pundits are basically not only talking about subverting American policy of our commander-in-chief, but actually talking about that the honorable moral thing would be to bypass the sanctions to keep in place a tyranny, a theocratic tyranny. You have now liberal media that supposedly is about women's rights and about democracy and free speech that is saying things that are fascistic in support of fascists in Tehran. While Rouhani calls our president a fascist, the world is upside down. And the results can be seen in Tehran. Their spiraling real is a godsend. It is motivating the people of Iran that Rouhani and his colleagues are saying that it's clear that the American policy is, is, is regime change. It is to destroy our is to destroy who we are, is to change the government and let the revolution prosper. They didn't even recognize the revolution, but at the end of the day, they're getting nervous. They wouldn't start giving even any oxygen to the revolution if it wasn't actually having an impact on them. And now American media and reporters are not on the side of freedom and liberty. We saw this not only in Islamist 
rise, but in socialism. In Venezuela, they were for long helping the socialists advance. Now they're silent on, on the complete collapse of Venezuela and how it has turned into a, a, a complete economic nuclear winter because of its socialism. Meanwhile, Oliver Stone and others were chumming around with the heads of the Venezuelan government. So whether it's collectivism economically through socialism or religiously through theocracy, the left has provided fuel for Iran's belligerence. Go to go to the website Press TV. I don't know if it's .com or .ir or what it might be, but go to their website and see what they're peddling. And they're basically peddling a lot of the same stuff that's coming out of left media in America. Basically saying that the Europeans want to help morally preserve the Iranian economy. That it is a, a violation of international norms to violate the nuclear deal. Uh, that was no deal. That was simply a green light for them to have billions to spread hell through the Middle East, through Yemen, through Syria, through Assad, through Hezbollah, and against Israel, and use it to advance short and mid-range missiles. While, oh by the way, their time to nuclear bomb might have been lengthened a few months, but not much. And meanwhile, they're calling our president a Nazi in order to divert attention from their economic, their their domestic rather, economic instability as their economy circles the drain. They called it internally on their website economic terrorism. So, by the way, what did Nihad Awad of Care talk to Rouhani about? If he was an honest American, he'd be writing pieces like we do at the American Islamic Forum for Democracy about why the tyranny of Iran is a threat to the United States, why the people of Iran should revolt against their government and should change the regime, that that would be the best policy for Syria, which would be the end of the regional fuel of Shia radicalism that also fueled Sunni radicalism through Hamas and the Muslim Brotherhood. But until, instead, that's all ignored, there's no standards, and it's all about how do we get to Trump via whether it's Rouhani or whatever conduit they want to use. It's all about the left-right dynamic in Washington. Well, that's not how reform is going to happen. Reform needs honesty. It needs contrition. It needs a unity about what Americanism is and what we stand for. When we come back, I want to reflect a little more generically about what the dynamic in America lately is doing to the level of discourse and our priorities. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This. We'll be right back. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network. Reaching 
changing the fault lines of today. This is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser on Reform This. In our last segment, I want to step away from the typical stories and anecdotes and policy issues that we talk about. And I, I was driving home this week and listening here in Phoenix, Arizona to the radio. And I was struck by a story that actually went viral. And, you know, Jimmy Fallon was even joking about it. And uh, one of our congressmen, who I've known well for some time, the Democratic Committee decided to put together an ad that featured his siblings. And his siblings basically said, none of whom live, by the way, in Arizona, but his siblings introduced themselves. Uh, nobody knew they were their, his siblings, especially since nobody knows who they are outside of, they, they live outside of Arizona. And they decided to then basically say that they're recommending the voters vote for somebody else. And somehow that's relevant to Arizona voters in his district. And it's not a secret who this is. Paul Gosar is a patriot. He loves his country. You may disagree with his policies. Um, you know, certainly within the party, we've had our disagreements. Uh, but this is not about politics. They think it's about politics. And then there are jokes. Uh, um, Jimmy Fallon's talking about, oh, Thanksgiving's going to be difficult, etc. But this is a much deeper issue. In my book, A Battle for the Soul of Islam, I talk about Arab tribalism. And I have to tell you, I was struck that, you know, to me, one of the things that, that my parents and my family embraced immediately upon becoming American is this concept of a separation between church and state, between sort of the American hegemony of identity versus political debate and political discourse. There is nothing that can balkanize and poison society more than a complete loss of priorities when it comes to political victory. When it comes to, I remember I, I was a doctor to Congress and I got to take care, I had the, I had the honor the blessing of being able to be an internist after I was chief resident of Bethesda Naval Hospital. I served on the USS El Paso, went to Somalia, came back after after serving, selected to be chief resident, and selected to be one of the two physicians at the time to Congress. Worked for Admiral Eisold, John Eisold. And I took care of everyone from left to right members of the Senate, members of the House, Supreme Court justices, got to know them as human beings and realized many of whom I disagreed with strongly, never talked to them about politics, but got to know them as human beings. From Bob Bennett on the right to Henry Waxman on the left, got to be good friends. And I remember how I was struck by I got to take care of Senator Thurmond when he was almost 100 years old. People stood up that, that were his staunch enemies in the Senate and gave speeches about him that were amazing. And this was not in the era of 
left and right heroes that the left just liked because it was a conservative that happened to take on Trump, that it was just the never-Trump heroes that seemed to lighten the cockles of the left. No. This was an era in which there was a collegiality, a unity of Americanism that seems to be going away. And I think it's how many cultures are eroded. It's not only tribalism, it's a toxicity of a exaggeration of the importance of victory in certain politics. It's a scorched earth policy. We see that happening regardless of what you think. I look back at Supreme Court justices. The right voted for justices they disagreed with, but they realized that there was a liberal president, Obama or Clinton, making a choice of the justice that it wasn't theirs to pick a conservative. So if he fit or she fit the qualifications and others, they didn't vote against him or her. But it seems now anything goes. Yes, people deserve to be heard. But when you take a family and you find that it's relevant as a political party to then use the siblings simply because they're siblings, not that they're political antagonists, they're not speaking to character in the commercial, they're simply saying to Arizona families, Arizona voters, that we are their family, so therefore, if we wouldn't vote for him, that means you better not. That's one of the attacks that happened to me. When the Islamists here locally did not know what to say against me, they said, oh, here's here's a guy who even testified against his own father. That must be the ultimate sin. I worked closely with my father. I talk about my book, A Battle for the Soul of Islam, that it was the greatest day of my life to join him in practice, second to my marriage, my wedding day. But it was a dream of mine that I, when I went to medicine, I... I became a doctor because of the example that my father set as a physician. But then ultimately he made decisions in practice that not only did I disagree with, but I had to separate myself from. And he filed a lawsuit against colleagues and others that I disagreed with and testified against. That's professionalism. I think that's, that's something that uh, I believed was speaking the truth to power, and uh, according to the scripture that I read, which is that ultimately speak for justice even if it's against your own kin. You can read about the details in my book, but at the end of the day, that is very different from simply expecting that because your sibling's speaking out, that somehow that's relevant. It, it ups the ante, you know. And in the last few minutes, I'm going to tell you that what you see, this might be just be one congressional race, and you're wondering why is it so relevant. But it is a teaching point for all of you about what we run into in the Muslim community, the Arabic community, when it comes to this honor violence, honor of the family. How when there's a sermon against my work, there's even Muslims within us, the imam said in the summer of 2014, that go on Fox News, doctors who claim 
to be for America when I, when they're actually against the Muslim community. So he basically called me a traitor to my own community. The whole concept of an Uncle Tom, these bigoted concepts are pushed about people that speak truth to power within our own community and we are demonized for it. So when politics tries to drive wedges between families inside families that really should avoid politics unless that is the dynamic that they just happen to end up in. Two siblings may end up against each other on a a sports field, on a political field, or whatever it is, that can happen. But it's another thing when they seek it out and then come from another state to make an ad. And I think the same thing with American Muslims, that we are all too silent because of the suffocation of tribalism, of the sense that somehow that's something that should be exploited. So tribalism gets exploited by the Arabic community for silence, and it gets exploited by the West in a politically exaggerated atmosphere. We've lost perspective. We've lost the the moral clarity denigrated it with moral relativism in which everything goes. Fairness in in discourse doesn't seem to matter. Evidence doesn't seem to matter. And I can tell you that you are seeing in some of the, just the little symptoms of what just just may, may sort of eat you up inside. In these little symptoms of what's eating you up as you watch American politics begin to, to, to circle, circle the drain of separation. This is the dysfunction to the hundredth power of what's destroying the Middle East, what has destroyed tribal communities. And ultimately, the West ended that process through an enlightenment and reformation where the tribe gave way to protecting the individual and the Bill of Rights and the Lockean concept of protecting individual freedoms. And I think similarly, in the Middle East, they're going to go through the same process. So as I was driving home, I I thought, gosh, this political ad, regardless of you know, if, if there was a, a, a Democrat running, this is not just because I happen to be conservative. If you're a Democrat running and six Republican siblings do an ad from an outside the state who have no political contact with that candidate other than being his siblings, that would be inappropriate. I'd have the same response. This type of irrationality it's irrational it's irrational to think that that is the right thing to do to allow yourself to get exploited just like it's irrational for an imam to call me out in front of my family to call me out as a uncle tom as a traitor as a monafic a hypocrite against my own community and i spoke out about it i transcribed his sermon and put it out that this is what happens to Muslims that speak out. They try to divide us. They try to say that we are against our own family. They try to say that 
that uh, we are not loyal to the community, to our faith, and to God. But it is not theirs to judge. Politics, reform, is about respect, is about equality. And these debates cannot happen if we're suffocated by cultural oppression. And that's what's happening. I think you're starting to see whether, thank God, we're, we're protected legally by a Supreme Court, by a political system that's based in liberal democracy. But socially, we are being tested, whether it's on social media, whether it's on uh, um, the dynamic of our culture. We're beginning to ebb down into a, a cultural oppression that needs to be fought. The rational needs to speak up against the irrational. And I think that political ad was an irrational act by family that probably, I believe, loves each other. Just as I have many family that I disagree with on Islamist issues, on political issues, but we might argue about things here or there, but I just don't feel it's appropriate to preserve the dynamics and the harmony of a family to do so publicly. It's not necessary. There are enough Islamist Muslims for me to argue with publicly to effectuate change than to do so and exploit familiar relationships to do that. And yet the Islamists are constantly trying to do that. You'll see in much of the narrative of care and others that they attempt to exploit familiar relationships in order to say somehow that our voice is not authentic. Just a little thought. Hope you're all doing well. It's been great talking to you again on Reform This. Stay tuned. We'll be back next week, as always, on Saturday at noon on Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. Breaching the fault lines of today. The Blaze Radio Network.